0: Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm really excited to be back with you all today. If you are returning to the program, I'd like to welcome you back. Welcome back. And if you're a new listener, I'd like to say welcome and let you know that this will be a judo-centric podcast. I will talk about news and athletes and anything related to judo and the judo community, whether that be the local community or the global community. I like to share with the listeners news and event results and and things along those lines specific to judo and and give my two cents, my, my opinion on those type of things. And there are some items that I definitely want to discuss today. But first, I want to let you know that I came back safely from Breckenridge. I'm not injured. I am mostly refreshed, and I had a fabulous time out in, in in Breckenridge, Colorado. It was just delightful being out there. The skiing was out of this world, and I mean that in a good way. And just the entire week's activities with the Uller Festival in Breckenridge was just, just a lot of fun. I took part in this world rec- record-breaking ski shot. Which involves attaching skis that uh, that were about it was about a quarter of a mile in length, just just hundreds of skis attached together, and on top of those skis were cups that were attached to, uh, with whiskey. Uh, it, it was a whiskey put out by Breckenridge Distillery. It's, it's it was a whiskey that was new for them, that's similar to Fireball if you've ever had Fireball, but this whiskey was superior, and they were about. 1200 people over 1200 people taking part in this event and the goal was to break the world record of simultaneous whiskey drinking on a long a very long ski or or segments of skis that were over 2000 that was over 2000 feet long how that converts into kilometer or not kilometer how that converts into meters um you can do the math i'm an american i deal with feet If that makes me an ignorant American, so be it. What can I say? Everywhere I travel, it's in miles and it's in feet. But we broke the record, and I'm very happy to be a part of that experience. And afterward is one of my favorite parades of all time, the Ula Parade. And you really would have to be there to understand why I like that parade so much. But if you want to go on my Instagram account, which is D underscore Rome 40 and check out some of the pictures not only from my vacation but specifically to that parade you can it's just really hard to describe how awesome the parade is it's one of those things you have to experience it's very interactive it's a lot of fun Um, it's it's really more about interacting with other people taking part of the parade than it is just about watching a parade from the sidelines and I just had a great time. I went skiing on Friday, and the amount of snow that is on that mountain is just ridiculous. Now, I've done powder skiing before, but I've never done the type of powder skiing that I did on Friday. It was it was a challenge in its own right, simply because I'd never experienced anything like that before. I, I managed to fall in one of the upper bowl areas once, which was just a real pain in the rear end and if you don't know what the bowls are it's it's the areas above the tree lines that typically have the most extreme and expert level terrain so i managed to handle them pretty well uh, except for one run where i fell and i lost my pole and when you lose a pole on a steep run like that it's a really really tough climb to get it back up uh, to get to get it get the pole because I had to climb up a very steep face with skis and it was not easy to do. I had, what I ended up doing was I made it halfway and I decided to flag somebody down to help me out. And sure enough, that person did. If you're listening to the podcast and I doubt that you are, I really appreciate the help because it, it made my day a lot better because it was darn near impossible for me to climb 20 feet just to get that pole. It was actually 50 feet away. I managed to climb about 20 feet. It took me a few minutes and it was just it would have been a hard climb with without skis on my feet on a on a summer day, but you know, during the winter with uh 4 feet of powder with skis and and one pole attached to my wrist, it would have just been extremely difficult. But other than for that one fall, I had a fantastic time. There were a lot more people on the mountain than I would have liked or expected, but I guess that's typical of Breckenridge going into a weekend. So I made it back in safely yesterday morning, and I caught up on some much needed sleep. I took a lot of great pictures from the summit. I took a lot of pictures of the town, and it was just just a fabulous trip. And I'm not going to bore you anymore about the trip. I'm glad to be back home. And I'm glad to be doing another episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast to talk about judo and talk about the sport that I love and the sport that I'm very passionate about. There was an event over the past couple of days in Tunisia. It was called the African Open. And it's the first event of the International, International, International Judo, 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 judo Federation. Federation. And the IJF released a news article specific to that event I would like to talk about that and give my impressions of the tournament and some of the results that they've had in that tournament I'm not talking about uh, specific win losses but I'm talking about how the new rules um, took effect in this tournament so I have some information I'd like to read the article published by the IJF and I'd like to talk about some of the more specific statistics that the IJF did not publish in Their press release. So the headline starts off saying positive results for the new refereeing rules in Tunis. Written by Nicholas Mesner. After months of work and consultation and after the new judo refereeing rules were revealed last December and most recently presented by the or at the IJF refereeing and coaching seminar in Baku. The baptism of fire of these new rules took place this weekend on the occasion of the first event of the 2017, the Tunis Open 2017. That's what it said. Mr. Juan Carlos Barcos, IJF head refereeing director who is present in Tunisia, analyzes the first expected implementation. I have to tell you that it was a wonderful surprise and this first contact with the new regulations left me with an extraordinary and positive feeling. It is never easy to change the rules as long as we have not seen what it gives in a real competition situation. It is difficult to form a definitive opinion. Here in Tunis, we had two days of high-level competition and during the two final blocks, all the fights were won by a positive score or, in other words, by an action-giving wazari or Ippon. Knowing that there are still two competitions by early February, we will arrive in Paris for the first event of the 2017 IJF calendar with experience and this is good and necessary. I remember from this weekend that the athletes were strongly committed to winning by marking advantages and not by seeking to penalize the opponent. It was one of the objectives of this rule change, or I should say change of rule, and here in Tunis it was reached. I observed a dynamic judo and a very good fighting spirit from all the participants, who, for the very first time, could practice the new regulations. All of this was very moving and everyone had a positive feeling. For sure, it was only a first competition and it is important to stay focused. The Paris Grand Slam, February 11th and 12th, will be the really big test. I also note that the rules and ethics of our sport have been fully respected. If judo becomes more dynamic and comprehensible for the spectators, the media, the sponsors, and of course for the judokas themselves, and if we keep what is part of our genes, namely our moral code, then we will have made great progress. I think it was the idea of our president, Mr. Marius Weiser, and after the first event, we can be optimistic. It is important to underline that the new regulations was a result of a wide consultation. So I think you know with that, and this is me speaking now. Uh, it's it's and I pointed this out in my last podcast, and and a lot of people who are still up in arms over the leg grabs. And I swear, this is not going to become another podcast on leg grabs. Believe me, I'm I'm a little over talking about it. Well. I'm not over, I'll never be over talking about leg grabs so long as people want to discuss it. But I think for, in the context of these rule changes, talking about leg grabs is like talking about Kani Basami being banned. It's done with, it's been happened. It happened years ago. So it's, it's time to talk about the rules in question today. Now it's interesting to see that, that, uh, Mr. Barkos wanted to make it clear that, that these rules and regulations were the result of a wide consultation and not just falling on um, Mr. Weiser's shoulders, which I happen to think that's probably the most accurate way to look at these rule changes. It, it wasn't Marius Weiser who dictated how these things should happen. The article goes on to say, Mr. Mohamed Meridja, IGF a- education and coaching director, who was present in Tunis as well was also impressed and we had no difficulty in agreeing on the positive results of this first event. I am optimistic, but I remain and we are all very much focused to make sure that the new regulation is a total success. It is nevertheless impressive to see that 90% of the matches of the weekend resulted in a positive score. We are on the right track and we will continue to work in that direction. Now, here is what I am more interested in. These rule changes are going to give you a positive score. There's absolutely no debate about that. But what I am curious to see is... Will there be more Ipon? Will there be less uh, Winner by Shido and Golden score? Will there be less hansoku maki? And I'm very curious to see the statistics of this event. Now, thankfully... There is a website out there that actually calculate it and, and puts this information together. JudoBase.org has all the information that I could possibly ever want from this particular tournament. So I would like to cover some of the statistics taken from both the men's and the women's divisions and try and make some sense out of it all and, and maybe come to a conclusion as to what this may look like for future events. So what I would like to do is compare the results for scores in this event and compare them to what we were seeing with the Rio Olympics. And let's see if there has been an improvement. So there are a total of 144 competitors. Now, Now, before I continue with this, I just want you all to know that I agree with Mr. Juan Carlos Barcos. This is just a very small sample. The real test is going to be in the, in the event in Paris. This is not the real test. But I'm curious to see between this event and the next two events leading up to Paris, whether we're going to see a consistent trend. But let's just, and, and I'll be sure to keep track of that. But let's just start with this particular event first. Now, for all the men and women... of the matches were decided by ippon. Compare that with 52.55% in Rio. So, is there an improvement there? Yes, there is. So, let's continue with the Wazari score. Now, there is not a Yuko anymore, but let's continue with Wazari and see what those statistics bear out. For Wazari, for all the competitors, 32.64% of the scores were decided by Wazari. Now, in Rio, if you combine Wazari and Yuko, we're looking at, uh, let me take a look here. We are looking at 30.79% of the scores decided by Wazari and Yuko in Rio, now, when it comes to the penalties, it looks like two point zero eight percent of the matches were decided by two Shido. So I'm going to guess that's a golden score. So they were three. That's a if I'm looking at the totals correctly. That's three total matches were decided by golden score uh, by uh, shido, and then six point nine percent of the matches, six point nine four percent of the matches were decided by. Three Shido and then one point three nine percent of the matches, which is a total of two matches, were decided by Han Sokumaki. Now whether that's Han Sokumaki because of grabbing the legs or because you try to break somebody's arm with a poorly attempted sode or or, or 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 I mean Wakigatami, I don't know. I don't have that information. But in terms of Shido and Han Sokumaki, we are looking at eleven point eight one percent in this tournament in Tunis. Which seventeen matches total were decided by by a penalty of sorts. Now in Rio, that number was fifteen point fifty one percent, and that's including all Shido, all Hansukumaki with four Shido, and Hansukumaki over the leg grab. That's fifteen point fifty one percent of the matches were decided by some kind of a penalty. Now again, this is a small sample size, but I, I hate to be the negative Nelly here, but I don't think that's all that spectacular. You know, it sounds great when you say, you know, nearly 90 percent of the matches ended in a score. But for me, and I covered this in my last podcast and other podcasts, that unless the epon, the number of epawn is 60 percent or higher. I don't think these rule changes are going to have the kind of effect that, you, that the International Judo Federation is hoping for. Now, looking at the specific statistics related to each division in both men's and women's, thankfully, there was not a situation where there were more Wazari wins than ippon wins. Because if that was the case, I mean, that, that would be a failure. But there were a few where it was very close. In the under 66 kilo division, for example, uh, out of a total of 15 matches, seven of them were won by Ippon, six of them were won by Wazari, and then you had a, 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 a match that ended in golden score with two Shido and, and another match that ended um, with three Shido for Han Sokumaki. In the over hundred kilo for men's division, uh, they were three matches, one, three contests won by Ippon, three won by Wazari, and one uh, win by uh, by three Shido. And same with um, the under forty eight kilograms for women, they were uh, four Epon four Wazari wins. Now, th- I think the biggest disparity here, which is a, a good disparity. In the men's under 73 kilo division, six of the matches were won by Epon and four were won by Wazari. And in the, you know, let's see here, in the under 57 kilo division for women, uh, 10 matches were won by Epon and three were won by Wazari. Now, those are the type of numbers that I would like to see moving forward through the rest of the year. Again, this is just a small sample size and not all of the best athletes were at this event not all the big judo countries were in this event uh France was the country that did the best at this event but Japan wasn't there Russia wasn't there Brazil wasn't even there there were a, a lot of the top stars was not the, were were not there so this this tournament now granted being the Hammerneger that I am I could have never even in my prime uh qualified for this tournament to to be in there but but in terms of international judo the top stars it would appear were were not all there so again this is a small sample size perhaps if japan or russia were there the the total of matches won by epon would be a lot higher for for anybody that's interested the united states had two, uh two athletes representing USA Judo, which was Alexander Turner and Turner and Quentin Cook in 73 kilo and 66 kilo respectively. But as I said before, France had the best results and 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 most success at this particular tournament. I don't know what letter level this tournament is, whether it's a C level tournament or or a D level tournament. I'm really not sure. But you know, for me, this these results are not what I'm expecting for these rule changes. I want to see 60% of the matches won by epon. If we don't ever get there, then I don't think these rule changes, no matter what the IGF says, no matter what Mr. Juan Carlos Barco says, it's not a success. Having scores, having a higher percentage of scores is not relevant if those scores are ending up in Wazari. And this was my worry when you had this idea of getting rid of Wazari Awaseti Ipon. Now some of these matches. Are just w- being won by. Whoever has the most. Wazari. And uh, you'll never get that Ipon. Now taking a glance. At some of the more specifics, uh, More specific winners. Of these matches. There was one contest. That, actu- that ended. With the winner. With four Wazari. There were four matches. That. Ended with the winner with 3 Wazari. And for the other matches. There were a lot of matches that ended with uh, with 2 Wazari. And no ippon At the end of regulation. At the, at the end of 4 minutes. Now on this org page. I'm not sure if I'm seeing every single match. Being represented on this page. For this particular contest. But with the information that I'm seeing. I don't know. I don't know, I still don't know what the advantage is to having or for getting rid of Wazari Awaseti Ipon, especially if the ma- majority of Wazari wins or, or if the with the majority of winner by Wazari, those matches are ending with the winner having two Wazari. So why have why get rid of Wazari Awaseti Ipon if most of the matches are ending with the winner Having two wazari, if the, I'm talking about the matches that don't end in ipon, most of the matches that are being won, the winners have two wazari. You may as well just have ipon at that point. Call it wazari. I would the ipon and declare the winner of the match right then and there. I think it would make for a lot more exciting judo, um, especially if you raise the standard of what a Wazari is back to its original definition and not including scores up to Yuko. I mean, I can live with the scores being uh, of Yuko being included in Wazari, but but like I've been saying here, I am not seeing in this one small sample size the effect that I would have liked to have seen moving forward. I, I just don't think a 2 to 3% improvement on the number of a pawn in a particular contest is what the IJF was looking for. And that is why I specifically asked Mr. Marius Visor in his Twitter Q&A if the IJF had a specific percentage of a pawn wins that they would like to see. He didn't answer the question quite in the way that I would have hoped. And this results here is just not, in my opinion... Is, is not great. If any of you out there in podcast land have a different opinion, hey, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or, or on Reddit or on Facebook and, and let me know. Uh, if This is just my opinion here. I'm not, I'm not the expert. I'm just, a, like I've said many times before, I'm just your, your local club showdown that happens to have be very passionate about judo and what's going on in the judo world. But for me, this is more disappointing than any leg grab band, to be perfectly honest with you. I want to see 60% of the matches won by Ipon at least. Or else I think the IJF should revisit these rules after the World Championship. Um, oh, look at this. Folks, we've got breaking news. Yes, that's breaking news from judoinside.com. I must give them credit because if it wasn't for them, I would not have heard about this. I got I got a I just received a tweet about this. The headline here states Double Olympic champion Peter Seisenbacher faces worldwide search warrant. Has anybody seen Mr. Peter Seisenbacher? Anybody? Because apparently this guy has done a bad thing and he's standing trial and he's nowhere to be found. <laughs> She sneaks about the world from New York to Carolina. She's a sticky finger filter from Berlin down to Belize. She'll take you for a ride. No more to China. Tell me where in the world is Peter Seisenbacher. So here's the news event, or, or here's the details about this. Peter Seisenbacher is facing a worldwide international arrest warrant. I wonder if Carmen San is involved in that too. A double Olympic gold medalist of 1984 and 1988 failed to show up for his trial in Vienna where he is accused of molesting two young girls. Eesh. His lawyer claims he is not aware of the athlete's whereabouts. Of course not, because he's fled the country, I bet. Or he's hiding in his basement, one or the other. Where in the world is Peter Seisenpacher? Today at a press announcement, Seisenbacher is now officially wanted. The judge suspended the proceedings on Tuesday, the 20th of December, after Seisenbacher failed to show for court two days in a row. We have not received any information from the defense on his whereabouts or the reasons for his absence. Court spokeswoman Christina Salzborn, who announced today's press release. Seisenbacher became the first judoka to ever win two Olympic gold medals in a row winning in Los Angeles in 1984 and Seoul 1988. He was named Austrian Athlete of the Year on three occasions and he, he is an IJF Hall of Famer. The now 56-year-old Austrian currently works as head coach for the Azerbaijan judo team. Well, that really stinks for Azerbaijan because they've got a they've got a few good athletes there and without their head coach that could put that program I wouldn't go as far as saying in shambles, but but that's gotta be very harmful to the athletes there. The Vienna well, you know hold on a second. Now I don't I don't know how Austria handles court proceedings and such, but I, I would think that these chargers are not exactly new. That these are things that have been in the works for quite some time. So part of me is surprised that uh, the Azerbaijan Judo Federation would even allow him to coach their team with such an allegation um, being pointed toward him. Anyway, I'll continue with the article. The Vienna Regional Court of Justice deliberately did not communicate to the outside world that Peter Seisenbacher had already launched the worldwide search immediately after the rescheduled negotiation date. That's verbatim there. For criminal reasons, this is a quote, for criminal reasons and to not hinder the search, the media and the general public have not been given any information, says Saliborn. However, the search for Seisenbacher did not succeed in the past four weeks. The 56 year old is no longer in Azerbaijan. Where in the world is Peter Seisenbacher? Obviously, I don't know uh, this, this fellow. I don't know Peter Seisenbacher but He's a despicable human being if he molested two children. You know, I, I, I just... Anybody who would do that is, is just a disgusting human being and, and is displaying values that are very, very anti-Judo. And he has no place, he has no place in Judo un, unless he is found innocent of these charges. He has no place being a coach of any team or, or being involved in Judo in any capacity from here on forward I mean I'm not going to be judge jury and executioner here but usually when these things happen when somebody is accused of being a molester those accusations are warranted in 2016 I became a foster parent of two children who were being molested by a family member and you know to be in the thick of that situation there was was a life-changing experience. Now, to be clear, when I said family member, I'm not talking about a member of my family. It was a member of their family. They were not, these children were not relatives of mine, but they happened to be in my care when everything went down. So we became temporary foster parents for a couple of weeks to make sure that their transition to a safe environment took place. And having been in the middle of this thing, to be accused of molesting two young girls, it, it just really, really angers me. I, I I know the kind of damage that can do to two young girls. And I'm going to assume that he is likely very guilty of this despicable crime. So if anybody out there happens to see Mr. Peter Seisenbacher... Feel free to punch him in the face, break his arm and call the authorities because I have no tolerance for anybody who molests children. Absolutely no tolerance. So I hope he's caught and I hope he stands trial and I hope he's not found dead, to be honest, because somebody like that needs to pay the price for his crimes. As far as I'm concerned, only guilty people run. So I don't have any problem in saying that he is likely guilty of this despicable crime and he needs to stand justice. So I'd like to thank Judo Inside for putting the word out uh, as soon as they were aware of the situation and aware of the public statement made. I mean, there's, there's some really great websites out there if you want to follow Judo News. I'd like to... Follow that and convey some of the things that I found and express some of my opinions on some of the news related items out there. I'm really no different than a lot of talk show hosts that are out there covering politics or covering sports. Unfortunately, I'm not able to be the journalist for judo. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to be one day, but I've got a career, I've got a family, I simply can't travel around. So I got to depend on wonderful sites like Judo Inside and JudoBase.org to. To get the word out and they do a fantastic job along with uh, with the IJF and and their news team and and a lot of other sites that are in different languages that do a fantastic job covering judo related news. There aren't really many sites in the United States that do that, um, but there are a few out there. One notable one is judocrazy.com. I think uh, the fellow who runs that site does a really great job as well. So, I encourage you to check out all of those sites and continue to check out this podcast because I'm here to provide judo content as well in a different medium that is not, uh, apparently, like I've said before, not too many people are are doing judo specific podcasts. And if they are, they may be in other languages. I don't know. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Once again, I'd like to thank you for checking out the podcast and joining me today. I am in the process of working on interviews. I sw- I know I've been saying that for a couple of weeks, but I really am looking to nail down some people, some guests. I know some of you freaks out there on Reddit want to be on my show, and you're more than welcome to come on. But I got to make sure that I have all the technical stuff um, settled so that when I published a podcast with interviews that the audio quality does not suffer whatsoever. That's the most important thing to me when it comes to being able to do interviews because I've got a single microphone here and I got to make sure that my studio slash dojo, at least that's what I call it, is properly prepared and equipped to do interviews. So I promise that's definitely going to be coming down pretty soon. I mean, maybe in the next... uh Within the next month, that's my goal. I would like to have a guest on my show within the next month, and then just continue from there. So, with that, I hope you all having a great day. I hope you all have a great week. I hope all of your wildest dreams will come true. Train hard, stay safe out there. I'm out. Open Gangnam Star. Style. Gangnam Star. Style. Gangnam them